All right, let's start in Hebrews. We're gonna start in Hebrews chapter six. So if you go with there in your Bible, Hebrews chapter six, and we're gonna be reading verse 13 to verse 15, focusing a lot on the story of Abraham. Um, I'll just give like a brief intro of Abraham, just in case you're sitting here this morning and you're like, who the heck is Abraham and what is the story that you are talking about? And so Abraham was a man who lived what they called the Ur of Chaldeans, which today is like Iran, Iraq, and God called him to the land of Canaan to father the nation of Israel, basically, which would come from him. So he goes by faith, the Bible says, he, he, he responds by faith, he goes into this land not knowing where he's going. And as he goes into this land, God makes certain promises to him. One of the promises is that this land that he's entering, the land of Canaan, which today is Israel, he said, I will give it to you and to your descendants. That was the first promise. The second promise God gave Abraham was that he would have a son and that from the son would be, like you said, you would, you would have inheritance. You would have generations that would come from you that are as, as numerous as the stars in the sky. So the multitude of generations and a multitude of peoples would come from him. And so when he went into to Canaan land, he didn't have any children. At that stage, he was 75 years old. His wife was 10 years younger than him. She was 65 years old. They couldn't have had children their whole life. So she's up to the age of 65, couldn't have had children. Up to the age of 75, he hasn't had children. But God makes a promise and says, from you, multiple people will come. As the stars are in the sky, as the sand are on the seashore, so shall your descendants be. And so that's the background story of Abraham. In the Bible, he's referred to as the father of faith. And so we're gonna look a bit at his journey, how he journeyed through this promise, particularly in the one with Isaac, which, which was his son who was to come. And so in Hebrews chapter six, if you read from verse 13, it says this, for when God made a promise to Abraham, the promise we've just spoken of, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And this Abraham, this is Achaia, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. I wanna read again. And Abraham thus having patiently waited, obtained the promise. As I said, Abraham, when, he first, when God first mentioned this promise to him in Genesis 12, verse one to four, he was 75 years old. When the promise came about, he was 100 years old. And so there was a 25 year wait for this promise. And so God in his wisdom, when he gives a promise, says to him, wait patiently. And I think for us, particularly in this generation, that's a struggle. We in this instant generation, I think it's just because of technology. There's like, if your computer doesn't switch on in 30 seconds, you know, then now I'm throwing this thing away, I'm getting a new computer. You know, if your program doesn't open, no, stuff this thing. You know, if your food doesn't heat up properly in one minute, you know, get a new microwave, get a better one. And so everything's like, it's fast track, it's fast paced. And so we've been geared toward that even when it comes to the promises of God. And so each one of us, as we sit here, um, God's given us promises, but the thing is that He doesn't put time frames on those promises. We do. He gives us a promise, you are gonna get married or you're gonna have children or you're gonna go into the ministry or I'm gonna heal you. And then we say, yes, Lord, I receive your promise. And then next week later, we're like, Lord, where's the promise? 
Two years later, Lord, where's the promise? Five weeks later, Lord, where's the promise? But we don't see the promise. And so we wait patiently. And so God's promises work on His timing, not ours. I'll say that again. God's promises work on His timing, not ours. He not only knows what promises are good for us, but also when those promises should be released to us. If you're taking notes, a good example of this, even pertaining to Abraham, Genesis chapter 15, verse 12 to 16, the other promise he gave him of the land. He says, I will give this land to you, but then he says, but only in 400 years. And it's like, if that was us, like, I'm gonna give this land to you. Well, let's go, Lord. You know, and we enter the land and we're fighting everybody and we're killing everybody. But he says, no, 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 no. I'm giving you the land, but wait. I'm giving you the promise, but wait. I'm giving you the healing, but wait. Wait for it. Wait, patient. I'm giving you the wife. I'm giving you the husband. Wait for it. That word wait, patiently wait, it means this. It means to persevere patiently. It means to persevere persevere with bravery in the, in, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of, 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 of something that would come against it. It embraces steadfastness. I love that. Steadfastness and staying power. Waiting on the promise is a place of unmovability in God. I wait for Him. I wait. He has spoken. I'm unmoved. I think it was Jeremiah that said, I've set my forehead like flint towards you. And so when God speaks, I keep that at the, fa- the focus of my attention, at the focus of my life, and I and I'm, am not swayed to the left. I am not swayed to the right. I am not swayed by circumstance. I am not swayed by what people said, but I stand steadfast. Though the trials come, though the, though the pain comes, though the, the loneliness comes, I remain steadfast. That's what patiently means, waiting patiently. It's not a place of apathy where it's just like, you know, whatever happens, happens, Lord. Like, whenever, dude, cool, man. We don't smoke weed, but <laughs> that's the kind of like, kind of vibe, you know. And so we just, we're just waiting. But no, it's, it's, it's a militancy to pursue. And so though he says, wait, it's coming, I still pursue it. I keep the promise before me. I meditate, we hear it so many times here. I meditate on the promise. I speak the promise. I keep it before my eyes. I'm steadfast in what he has spoken. And so we see here that what the scripture says that Abraham waited patiently. He did it. He did it for 25 years. How long have you been waiting for your promise? Two months, two years. Try to wait 25 years, but he did it. And so there's a lot that we can learn from Abraham, our father of faith. And so the question is, how did he do it? How did Abraham, like, like I said right at the beginning, the circumstances were so contrary to what God had promised. Abraham, the, if you read then in Hebrews chapter six, where is it now? Oh, it's in Romans four, sorry, we just now. 
It says this, Sarah's womb was dead. That's what it says. It says her womb was barren. She, could, she, was, she did not have the ability to have children, even in her 30s, even in her 20s. And now she's 65 years old. Abraham now is 75 years old. He waits 25 years. Now he's 100 by the time this child comes. The, con- the, the circ- like, we have no idea. We think, oh, you know, things are coming against the promise of God. You know, they moved to another city. I kind of like them, but now they're gone. There goes my promise, you know, on the bus. You know, <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, he, like, he walked it, like, legit. He walked it properly. And so there's stuff that we can learn from Abraham. Like how, how did he stay steadfast? How did he not lose heart? How did he persevere? And so luckily for us, the Bible tells us. And so let's go to Romans chapter four, verse 18 to 21. And there's, it, it's so cool how it, it like points out and it makes a list of, 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 of things, for lack of a better word, that Abraham did in order to stay steadfast in order to persevere. And so we're gonna read from Romans chapter four, verse 18 to 21. Everybody there? Romans chapter four, verse 18 to 21, reading from the ESV. It says this in verse 18, talking about Abraham. In hope, he believed against hope. There's the first one, that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. Second point, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Number three, no unbelief made him waver. In other words, when unbelief came, he didn't, still didn't doubt concerning the promise of God, but grew strong in faith, number four, as he gave glory to God. And number five, he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And so Abraham implemented these things in his 25-year wait. These are, these, are, these, are, these are things which God taught him to stand. God taught him to be able to wait patiently for the promise that was given. And so we can glean from that this morning. We can glean from what he taught Abraham. He can teach us with the very same thing. So I'll say that again. In verse 18, it says, in hope, he believed against hope. Number two, verse 19, he did not weaken in faith. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver. And again, verse 20, his faith grew stronger. And the verse, last one, verse 21, he was fully convinced. And so we don't have time to go through all of those five. And so we're only gonna look at number one today. And it says this, in hope, he believed against hope. And so I said, this is the ESV. So it doesn't translate that really well. And so I'm gonna read it in the New Living Translation because it makes a lot more sense. And so the New Living Translation translates verse 18, like it says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. I read again, even, and we know the reasons, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. And so when we look at the definition of hope, if you had to take your dictionary, like your Oxford or your Cambridge, whatever, the definition they would give you is this, it's a feeling 
of expectation. It's a desire or a wish for a certain thing to happen. But the biblical definition of hope is actually very, very different to what our English dictionaries would translate it. And so the biblical definition of hope is this. Hope is an expectation with certainty that God will do what He has said. I'll read it again. Hope is an expectation with certainty that God will do what He has said. So on the one hand, in the, in the world, the hope is, it's like a wish. Oh, I hope it rains today, you know, or I hope my shirt was washed so I can wear it for church. You know, it's like a, kind of like, it's out there, blase. But the biblical definition of hope, it's a, it's a, it's a certainty inside of it. It's a certainty in our hearts. It's a guarantee. It's an expectation that what God has said will come to pass. And that no matter what may come my way, I still believe what He has said. I still have my hopes set. Have you heard that phrase before? I have my hopes set on the promises of God. And so like we said, in the natural, Abraham had nothing to put hope in, like zero. He had no, there was no physical substance or material or idea that he could put his hope in. No medical doctor could even help them. No AI, if they were alive today, could even help them to fulfill that promise. And so his hope had to be in the word that God spoke. His hope had to be in the promise that was spoken to him. And so when God spoke that promise, hope arose in Abraham and there was an earnest expectation in him. And here we see the first key to waiting patiently is there was an earnest expectation in him that God would do what He said. And so He was prepared to wait 25 years. And He would have even waited longer if He had to. He was prepared to wait because He knew that this one who has spoken to me will bring it to pass. And so He was able to wait. He was able to be patient and see God work it out, work it out, work it out and bring things to fulfillment as He had spoken before. And so when we, when we talk about this expectation, I want us to look at three Scriptures that we can really like hinge our expectation on. When God speaks, there's, there's these three things that, that drive that, that drive that certainty, that drive that expectation that we know that when He's spoken this, I can believe Him because of what these other Scriptures say. And so the first one, if we go back to Hebrews chapter 6, is in verse 16 to 19. So we're talking about things that I can hinge, hinge, <laughs> things that I can hang basically my expectation on. It's like hooks I can hang on this thing and I know it's not gonna break, it's not gonna let me down. And so the first one is in Hebrews chapter six, verse 16 to 19. So we're reading on from where we read just now. And it says, as for people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath. Listen to verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. 
we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. I wanna read verse 18 again. It is impossible for God to lie. I'll say it again. It is impossible for God to lie. Get it? It is impossible for God to lie. First John 1, 5 says, God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. He is absolutely pure, holy, integrous, righteous in all His ways. There's not one macro millimeter of darkness that can be found in His being. There is no corruptness in Him. There is no sin in Him. There is no deceit in Him. He is pure light. He is pure love. And when He speaks, He can of Himself. It's impossible, like if you think about it, it's impossible. Even if He wanted to lie, He would open His mouth to tell a lie and the truth would come out. Because it's not in His makeup. It's not in His DNA. It's impossible for God to lie. And so we, we have to establish that as a core truth in our hearts. We have to establish that as a, as a core truth in our lives that I can hang my expectancy, I can hang my hope on this fact that if God has spoken a promise, no matter the circumstance, no matter the trial that comes against me, no matter how long it takes, He will do what He has said. Why? Because He doesn't lie. James chapter one, verse 17, it says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. It's quite an interesting term because I was, I was, I was looking at the other day, I was like, what does that even mean? And I, was, I found a children's, um, like, what is it? Sunday school lesson. And I was like, oh, that's what it means. <laughs> and so basically it's like, if you had to go outside today and you saw an object and the shadow, the sun was shining and the shadow was there. And you had to go back and come back two hours later, the shadow won't be there anymore, it'll be over there. And if you go out inside and come outside again, the shadow will be over there, the shadow will be over there and the shadow will go on. So in other words, the shadow variates, it moves, it shifts. It doesn't stay in one place. And so what James is saying is like, God's not like that. He doesn't say, I am like this. The Lord, to Moses, right? The Lord, compassionate and mercy, faithful to all generations, slow to anger, bounding in love. Like, yes, Lord, thank you. Go inside, come back. Lord, you're, Lord. Okay, now I'm just slow to anger. Those things have changed now. But no. no, he doesn't do that. He doesn't change his nature. He doesn't change his ways. He doesn't change his character. Like he says, who he was, he is. And who He is, He will forever be. He cannot lie. And so whatever those promises of God that He has spoken over you, maybe it is for healing. 
He does not lie. He's not dangling a carrot. I often say that. He's not dangling a carrot in front of you, teasing you, saying, come, try, come, try. <laughs> I didn't get it. <laughs> That's not, there, he, he is light and there is no darkness in him. The second hanger that we have for our expectation is found in Isaiah chapter 55. So if you go there with me, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10 to 11. It says, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Listen to this. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. When God speaks a promise, His earnest intention is to bring it to fulfillment. When God speaks a promise, His earnest intention, His very purpose, as we just read, is to bring it to pass. He doesn't speak something to make us happy or to bring the peace. So I don't know if you've ever done this as a parent. I'm guilty of it. Your child is asking you, Daddy, Daddy, can we go to the beach? And you're like, oh, I'm not going to the beach there. Okay, no, don't worry, we'll go to the beach next week when it's sunny. And so your intention is not to go to the beach. My intention was that you would hopefully forget by next week <laughs> that when it's sunny, you won't ask me to go to the beach because you keep asking me. And I say, no, no, no. And you keep asking me. And so I say, just for the sake of peace, because I want to sit down. Yes, we'll go to the beach next week. I said, maybe next week we'll go to the beach if it's sunny. Next week comes, Daddy, it's sunny. <laughs> you know, so my, my intention, I don't know if this is you guys, maybe it's just me. Um, and it's wrong, I'm trying. My intention wasn't to go to the beach. My intention was just to keep peace. But he doesn't work like that. That's our human frailty. That's our weakness, our parenting weakness. But God will never, ever do that. You went like, oh, Donovan again. Shucks, but you keep asking me for this thing the whole time. Yes, Donovan, that's your promise. Just take it. It's going to happen in two weeks' time. You know? Hoping Donovan will forget the promise. And then he doesn't have to do it. That's not how he works. God's earnest intention when speaking a promise is to bring fulfillment. Just like when he sends rain and he sends snow, it comes with a purpose to water the earth. So when he sends his word, when he speaks his word over you, there's intentionality, there's purpose, there's desire behind that promise behind that word, that what he is saying, he fully intends for you to take hold of. He fully intends for you to walk in the fullness of it. Amen. The next thing that we can, or the next scripture that we can hang our expectation on is in Jeremiah chapter one, verse 12. Jeremiah is just after Isaiah. So just turn this way or this way. I'm sitting down. Jeremiah chapter one, 
verse 12. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12 says this. The Lord's having a conversation with Jeremiah. He says this, Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. He said, you have seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. That word watch means to, to keep watch of or to be wakeful over. In other words, when God speaks a promise over your life, He keeps it before Himself. He keeps it before His eyes. And what it says here, He's even wakeful over it. So day and night, He has His promise of you before himself. This is what it's saying. How insane is that? Little old me out of how many billion people on the earth, yet my promise that he gave me is before him. And so often when, we, when we're in the waiting, when we're in the 25 years, when we're in the five years, we're in the one year, the 10 years, when we're in the waiting, we think he's forgotten what he said, but he never forgets, never, ever forgets. Sometimes we forget, but he never forgets. Craziest thing happened to me quite recently when Maggie and I first got married. We've been married 10 years this year. Um, that's Maggie. <laughs> Still got that Congolese inside. <laughs> anyway. So, when we first got married, God gave us promises um, over our family, over our scripture, over our scripture, over our household, over our marriage, and so forth. And so, we had a promise for our home, promise for, they said we didn't have a car, we had a promise for a car, and so forth, and so on. And so the promise that he gave me or gave us for a car was quite unique. And I didn't really understand it at the time. It was in Ezekiel, where he says, the wheel within the wheels. <laughs> it's like the wheel within the wheel. And where the living creatures went, the wheels went. You know, when the eyes flew around, when they moved, the wheels, they rose, the wheels rose. And I was like, what are you sure? And then I, like, I just felt him saying, like, this is the scripture. It's like, I didn't understand it. I was like, okay. So we did what we're supposed to do, we meditated on, we spoke it, we confessed it, we believed it, did all those things. And eventually what I found out quite recently is I actually forgot about it. Um, but what happened is I've been privileged, um, been blessed really to, to, to drive a Toyota. And so the other day I was closing the boot of the Toyota and as I closed it, I looked at the symbol of the Toyota and it's a wheel within a wheel. And I didn't, like by that stage, I've been driving for like two weeks, but I didn't, it didn't click. And as I closed the boot, the Lord reminded me, it's like the wheel within the wheel. I was like, what? <laughs> Noise. <laughs> I had forgotten completely. I wrote it on the paper. I don't know where the paper is. It's somewhere. But he never forgot. He kept the promise before him day and night. And I was like, Oh Lord, 
you brought that promise to pass, that means you haven't forgotten the other ones that you have spoken over us. And so it, it builds a faith inside him again and an expectation, an earnest expectation that what he said will come to pass. And so I encourage you, he never forgets. We don't have to understand. Yeah. We just have to trust. It's like Mary, right? Luke chapter one. Gabriel comes to Mary, Mary, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you have a child. Like what? Uh, how can that be? That's her like, statement. How can that be? I don't understand how that is impossible or how that is possible. But then she says this, but nevertheless, let it be done according to your word. That's all he's looking for. We don't have to figure out how he's gonna fulfill the promise when He's going to fulfill the promise, through whom He's going to fulfill the promise. We just got to believe the one who gave the promise. We just got to trust Him. And we have full reason to trust. Abraham had full reason to trust God. Why? Because he's not a man who lies. He keeps the word before him day and night. He, he remembers his promise. God speaks a promise. His desire is to bring that promise to pass. This is who he is. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Carol, Richard, Rebecca Rose. It's the same God. The God of the generations. Faithful, this is what he says to Moses. Faithful to every generation. He has not changed from Abraham to us. He's still the one whom we can trust. He's still the one who keeps his promise. He's still the one who doesn't lie. This is our God. Amen. And it's such a privilege. Oh, what a beautiful father. Beautiful Father, it's absolutely amazing. I want us to go to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, you might be very familiar with the scripture. Just and we're looking at hope. And so in verse 12, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. I read again, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. That word deferred means this, it's something that is drawn out for an extended period. Or it's something that is postponed. In other words, it's the waiting God speaks a promise over us, hope arises, hope is birthed inside of us, but then the waiting comes. And there's a, there's a temptation within the waiting that deferment can make our heart grow sick. In other words, we can lose focus of the promise and even grow bitter, grow sorrow, grow anxious, in our hearts because we're not seeing what He said come to pass. 
And so a good example of this is Abraham's wife, Sarah. Like I said, she's been trying to have a child her whole life. And you just gotta think about the culture of that day. A woman's value was found in childbearing. Almost nothing else, really. You can see that Genesis 31, Rachel and Leah, 1 Samuel, Hannah with the boy Samuel. The value of a woman, her self-identity was found in her children. How many children can she give her husband? Especially if it's a son. And so here's, I want you to just paint a picture for you. Here's this woman, never been able to fulfill that. Never been able to walk that out. Now she's 65 years old. That dream died a long time ago. That hope got squashed a very long time ago. And here we see God come in Genesis chapter 12 and He says, Abraham, you're gonna have descendants. And she hears this. And we would think, wow, Sarah, come on, this is a great opportunity for you. But we see the heart that's already made sick. And we see the reaction of that. And I want you to go with me to Genesis chapter 16. There's two reactions that I want us to look at. And they are warnings to us about guarding against deferred hope, about guarding against a, a sick heart. In Genesis chapter 16, verse one to four, God has spoken the promise. In the previous chapter, He actually just says it again in chapter 15, verse five. He says, and look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. So shall your offspring be. The very verse or the very next chapter, here we see Sarah with deferred hope. Heart that is made unwell. In a place of sorrow, in a place just, what use am I? And it says, it's now 16, it says, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. She knows the promise, guys. She knows what God, he's, by this time he's spoken it about three times. Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servants, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. So Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan. Sarah, Abraham's wife, took, so they were halfway, Ab took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. If you read on later, that boy's name was called Ishmael. And so the warning, the dangers of not hanging our expectation continually on the nature and the character of the Father and, and, and falling into this place where our hearts can become unwell, our hearts can be filled with sorrow, our hearts can be filled with anxiety, is this, is that we give birth to Ishmael's. When we lose hope, we give into our circumstances and settle for second best. When we lose hope, we give in to our circumstances and we settle for second best. 
God, you promised this, but I'm just not seeing it. Maybe you didn't mean it, I don't know. And so this opportunity has come. And so, Lord, I know it's not your will. I know it's not your will for my life, but I have no choice. And so I'm gonna take this one, Ishmael. I've shared this testimony before. There's a young man in our church. He was telling me at his workplace, there's a, a Christian girl, and I think I've said this before, um, love the Lord, believing God for a husband. Year after year, it's just not coming, just not coming, just not coming. Eventually a Muslim guy begins to romance her and she wants to marry him. Well, they are married now. And so he says, to, if you wanna marry me, you must forsake Christ and become a Muslim. And so she did. In our city. Hope deferred made her heart sick. And she settled for second. You can't even say second best. That's the wrong word. Because there's no best in it. So she settled for scraps. I'm not saying the guy's scraps. Bless him, Lord, save him. But that wasn't what God said to her. And she knew it. And we know it too. We know when we're not in God's will. We know when we're stepping out of line, that the promise says this and this, and I know I have to do certain things, make certain choices, be in a certain place, and I know when I've stepped out. I know it, you know it. But yet we still do it. And then what happens? All these little Ishmael's start popping up and we're like, oh God, my life is terrible. All these little Ishmael's are yapping, Daddy, I want some food, Daddy, I don't want some food. You know? Whereas if I just stay the lane, wait patiently, the son of promise will come. The one who brings blessing. The one who brings joy. That's what Isaac means. That's why Sarah named that. He brings me great joy. The second thing we see in Sarah's life is in Genesis chapter 18. Talking about hope deferred makes the heart sick. Genesis chapter 18, verse 9 to 15. Again, God's coming to, to reiterate the promise to Abraham and Sarah. And so he comes with two of his angels. And it says this, chapter 18, verse 9. So Abraham is quite fascinating, the Old Testament. I love it. It's like God's having a conversation with Abraham, literally like face to face, and there's two angels with him, and they're eating and talking. And then in verse nine, it says this, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent, behind, at the, at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. I, like, I think they like, they like to put that in. Like, just, this is what's actually happening in this story. Like, how many times does it say that? And it says this, the way of woman had ceased to be with Sarah. And it says, so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And so that word laugh there 
it's not like, it's not laughing with joy. It's not laughing because she thought it was a joke. That word laugh means to mock, to laugh in spite, to laugh scornfully. That's what, check it out for yourself. That's what it means. And so she heard what the angel of the Lord said to Abraham, that Sarah will have a wife, oh, Sarah, will have a, Sarah will have a child. And when she heard it, her laugh was more like, it's, <laughs> whatever, bro, that'll never happen. God, you said that so many times. I'm still, that's what it was. And so what we see is the deferred heart Deferred hope that made the heart sick even caused her to despise the promise. The promise, she heard the promise with her own ears and she mocked the promise. How's that? She despised the promise. Why? Because God, you said this five times already. Where is my child? That's what was going on there. Her heart was such a place of embitterment that she even despised the promise when she heard it again. And the danger for us is that when we do that, when we despise the promise, we despise the promise giver. And you can actually become offended with God. If John the Baptist got offended with God, so can we. And so we hear, it's like God gives you a promise and then um, this morning, you're like, yeah, Lord, I've heard this before like 20 times. Guys are just telling me this stuff all the time. Nothing's ever happening. Please shut up. <laughs> Why? Your heart is sore. Your heart is hard. Because you've been waiting. But my encouragement to you this morning is wait patiently. Keep waiting. Wait in hope. Wait in the promise. Wait in the one who cannot lie. Wait in the one who keeps his promise before you, who never forgets. Wait for him. Let go of the heaviness. Let go of the sorrow. Let go of the anxiety. Let go of the loneliness. Let go of the pain. Let go of the questioning and take hold of the promise. I love it in the Old Testament, they often they would say they, they held on to the horns of the altar. It's a place of desperation and they would just hold on, hold on, hold on, regardless, hold on. And my encouragement to you this morning is hold on. Hold on to the altar. He's trustworthy. Guys, please get this. He's not a man who should lie. He doesn't change his ways. He is faithful and just and true. This is our God. And if He has spoken a promise of you and you haven't seen it, it will come to pass. Just keep on waiting. Just keep on believing. Just keep on pressing. Just keep on pushing. Just keep on. I don't know your situation this morning. 
but keep on. Don't give in to the circumstances. Don't settle for the Ishmael. Settle your heart on the promise. And if we persevere, if we remain steadfast, we will see it come to pass. Guaranteed. In Hebrews chapter six, we read how hope is an anchor for the soul. And when, we, when we're faced with the circumstances that are anti to what God has spoken, we can hold on. Like I said, we hold on the horns, the horns of the altar. We, we hold on to the anchor. And through the strength of the Father, we, through the, the hope of the promise, we remain unmoved. But when we let go of hope, it's a beautiful picture. When you lift the anchor from the ship and no one's inside, it'll begin to drift away with the currents of life. But as soon, as long as that, that anchor of hope is where it's supposed to be, yes, that same current will come, the same storm will come, but it'll remain, it will remain, it will remain, it will remain. Don't let go of hope. It's time to hope again. It's time to dream again. The world says, don't get your hopes up. <laughs> That's not Bible. We need to get our hopes up again. We need to dream again. Ephesians 3.20, it's real. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ask or think or imagine according to the Holy Spirit who's at work within you. Keep hoping. And so like Abraham, maybe your hope was deferred by a circumstance. Maybe it was deferred by a person. Maybe promises were made to you that didn't come about. Maybe circumstances have come against the promise of God and it's just, they just keep coming wave after wave after wave. It's like, Lord, I'm standing, but every time I go to the doctor, he just tells me more bad news and it's more bad news and it's more, it's just like wave and wave and wave coming against you. Keep standing, keep pressing. Keep hoping, keep dreaming. Let hope arise in you again. I've got one more scripture in Romans chapter four, verse 17, but we're doing communion today. I know Josh has prepared, but I want us to take communion now as well so you would have received a, one of these things. If you haven't, please put up your hand real quick so the ushers can come to you. Looks like everybody has, wonderful. Please open your communion. I'm gonna read Romans chapter four, verse 17. And I want us to take communion over the scripture. So it says this in Romans chapter four, verse 17. It says, as it is written, 
I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed. And listen to this. Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And then it says, in hope, Abraham believed. When there was nothing to hope for, Abraham kept hoping. But verse 17 again, it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, says it's who gives life to the dead. A huge part of Jesus' death on the cross is his resurrection. He died to rise to life again. He didn't die to stay dead. In Hebrews chapter eight, talking about the new covenant through Jesus, it says, in this covenant which Jesus mediated, there are many promises. There are better promises. It's not just one promise that He died and rose for. It wasn't just for eternal life. It wasn't just for salvation. There's more, as Pastor Craig, we, we, we've been speaking about it. There's more to salvation than just making it to heaven. But in this sacrifice of Jesus Christ, His death and His resurrection are the very promises that He speaks over your life. It's part of the same package. That's salvation. The whole man, spiritually, socially, mentally, physically and financially. And you might be sitting here this morning and just like Sarah, your hope has died. Your dream has died. Hope has deferred and your heart has become sick. You've lost sight of what God has spoken over you. Or maybe you're beginning that road in this very moment. You've been believing, you've been believing and you're starting to get a bit shaky. You're starting to get a bit uncertain about what the Lord has said. But I really felt this morning that He wants to bring the dead things to life. He wants to bring dead dreams to life. Dead homes to life. Dead wombs to life. Dead relationships to life. Dead bodies to life. This is who He is. Don't give up hope. And so we're gonna take this communion and we're gonna take hold of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. It's not just for your body. It's not just for your soul. It's for the whole man. It's for the promise that He's spoken over you. He's a mediator of the covenant of better promises. And so I'm gonna encourage you in your own time, take your communion, bring those promises before Him again. What is it that you've been trusting for, that you've been waiting for and waiting and waiting and waiting? Bring it before Him. Speak the cross, speak the finished work of Jesus Christ, speak the blood, speak the body broken, speak His death, speak His ascension, speak His resurrection into those things. And let Him stir hope in you again. Let Him stir the dream in you again. So I'm gonna encourage you to do that.
in your own time. Thank you, Father. Jesus, we thank you this morning. You said, I am the resurrection and the life. By your Holy Spirit, Father, I ask that you'd minister to each one, that you'd minister to our hearts, that you'd minister to our minds, to our bodies, Lord. And Father, where dreams have died through disappointment, through whatever the circumstances, where hope has been deferred, where the promises seem so vague and so far and so distant, by your spirit of resurrection, God, I ask that you'd resurrect a new hope, resurrect new life. Father, you call the dead things to life. And so we say, dream, come alive. Heart, come alive. Hope again, hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord again. Trust in the Lord again. Trust in Him. Dream with the Lord again. He's able. I love that Ephesians 20. It starts, He is able to do exceedingly abundantly. He is able. And I speak that over your people this morning. God, you are able. You say with man it is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. And I speak that over every hope, every promise, every dream, every desire that you have placed in the heart of your people, birthed by your Holy Spirit. I say, God is able. And so I say, be fruitful. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you for life, Lord, the gift of life that you give. The life of Christ, the Zoe life of God, breathing into our lungs afresh this morning, breathing into our bodies, breathing into our souls, breathing into our minds, breathing into those graveyards of our heart, Father. You, you speak to the dry bones. You say, can these bones live? You say, yes, they can live. And then the breath of God said, prophesy the breath, son of man. And he prophesied and the bones came alive. And so far, we thank you for the, the breath of life, the breath of God this morning into the graveyards of our heart. And we say, what is dead? Come alive. In Jesus' name, you are the author of life. Again, Lord, we thank you that you are able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think or imagine, according to the Holy Spirit who's at work within us. Then it says, to him be all the glory in the church forever and ever. Amen. And so we say, Amen, Lord. We say, yes, according to your word, let it be. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father.